0: Genesis chapter 12, how many want to go a little higher with God? A little higher with God. So uh, many of you may be on social media, and you may have a 1,000 friends or 500. Some of you have only been on a few times. You have five. But how many people actually know you? Think about it. Just if you were to count, how many people in your life, some of you have been able to cross states, some of you grew up at high school, you went to college, and you moved to 14 places. How many people in the world actually know who you are? Now, how do those people, you got a number, I don't know, maybe 1,000, 2,000, some of you are popular, I don't know, 10,000 people might know you, or 5,000, and on Facebook, you think a whole bunch of people know you, uh, right? But how many people know you, and how, how do they know you? Think about this. Some of them may know you as a distant third cousin twice removed. Just saying, some of them may know you as a coworker or a neighbor, somebody you went to school with or a friend, Some in your family. gonna know you as aunt or uncle or or other l- names we can't mention here. You know, uh, you've got labels that people put on you from things you did when you were a little kid. There's all kinds of nicknames on you. There might be all kinds of ways people know you, and in those in your family, they might call you mom or dad, son or daughter. You know, your favorite uncle, whatever. Now, each of those people know you in a different way. Some of them know you in a formal way, like a boss-employee relationship, and that's how they know you. And some of them know you most intimately because they have spent childhood memories with you, and they have a, not just a, a factual knowledge about you, but they have a, a moment knowledge, an experiential knowledge with you. Let me give you an example. Have you ever met someone like for the first time at church or at work or something, and then you had like an image? Because a lot of times what we do is we like try to think who we know is just like this person we just met. Oh, they're kind of like, I kind of see them like this person. And you meet this person, you might think, well, maybe they're shy or maybe a coworker, and you thought they were rude, and then years go by, or months go by, and you get to know this person, and you like, see them completely different. How many people know what I'm talking about? Like you get an impression of this person, like they're probably country, and then you find out they love rap music, and they drive something else, or whatever. Like that you, you have an image about a person, but then the more you get to know them, you start seeing them in a whole different light. Like some of you may look at me and meet me as a pastor and think, well, I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm an outgoing person. But if you knew me like my wife knows me, you would know I'm a very shy introvert by nature, right? It's all in how you know me, right? And that's how we are sometimes with God. Sometimes in God, we have a skewed or perhaps incomplete perspective. For some people in the world today, maybe even here, we've only heard about him from others. How you know me, you might know me personally, but you might know things about me. Somebody actually, this last month, uh, was in Pineville, Alexandria area, and was shopping at a store, and a lady came up to this uh, lady, one of our LNA Baptist Church family members, uh, uh, sister churches, and and said, "Hey." Uh, they started talking. Said they lived in Gina, and she said, "Oh, I know somebody in Gina. Tell Heath Harris hi." And then she told that person their name, and then so the other day that happened, that ran this person and said, "Hey, so and so." when I was at Marshall shopping at the clothing house said to tell you hi and I said what's their name and they told me their name I'm like I have never met that person in my entire life but you can tell them hi for me because I have no clue still today I have no clue who this person is but they seem to know me somehow from being a pastor in Gina and so sometimes we can know God through others sometimes we can know facts about him sometimes we have an incomplete view sometimes We've uh, only met him a few times, and we've learned to know him through religion. Sometimes we can have a cold and formal relationship with him, maybe be like meeting the Queen of England. It'd just be some formal, awkward thing, and we know who they are, but it's not intimate. And some of us treat him more like a third cousin that we only see on the holidays. We come and see God on Easter and Christmas. That's when I see my third cousins. Easter and Christmas and Thanksgiving and special days or a funeral. And that's about the only time we see him, and we know him like a third cousin. Just be honest, right? It's okay. Y'all can lighten up. How do you know God? How do you know him? You know, I'm growing in this walk with him, and I am learning that there is more of God to know than I know. I'm learning there is more of God to experience than I have experienced. And that this journey of knowing God, I learn a little bit every year, every day, I can see Him a little higher every time I look at Him. Every time I come to see something in Scripture, I can see Him a little higher. Every time I experience him in a prayer meeting or in an altar service or in worship in my car, whether it be on my lawnmower or here at an altar like today, I sense him a little more. I get to know him a little more. That this relationship with him is both knowledge-based, but it's also experiential. That knowing God, I can know facts about a person, but the more moments I spend with that person, the more I truly get to know them. I want to talk to you about mountain moments with God that sometimes our Christian walk has stagnated and we get stuck in a rut for how we know someone, how we know him. And there are journeys in in Abraham's life, mountain moments in Abraham's life, and we're going to look at just a few here this morning, where each time God showed up, Abraham got to know God a little higher. Look with me in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Sometimes we need regular mountain moments with God that will lift our gaze a little higher. And I want to speak to all of us this morning and say, again, there is more to God to know than you know right now. Your level with God right now, your relationship with God right now is not enough. It is to know Him more and know Him more each and every day. So let's look. I'm going to give you just a few things. The first way is a voice. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Abraham, his name is Abram in this part. Abram, his dad has uh, moved them out of the land of Babylon, the land of the Chaldees, and they say, let's go to Canaan. And they make it to a place called Haran, and, and his dad dies. And one day, a voice came to Abram. And look what it says. It says, now the Lord, that Lord there is translated Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh said to Abram, go forth from your country to your relatives and from your father's house to the land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And you'll be called a blessing. Everybody say blessing. Yes. Now I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who will curse you. And then the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went forth as the Lord Yahweh had spoken to him and Lot went with him and he was 75 years old. When he departed from Haran. Abram Abram didn't know God. He didn't know the Lord. In fact, Abram was from a pagan area. He had only seen God be used and talked about in Babylon, in the land of the Chaldees, in a pagan way. And the main way people knew God there was through calling him El, E-L, El. El, meaning God of a mountain or God on the mountain. That's where they often went to sacrifice and make mountain moments with God. They'd go up to a mountain because they thought that's closer to God, right? And they'd make a sacrifice there. And Abraham grew up this way and there was no Bible. There's no law. There's no priesthood. There's no Jews. There's no Israel. That's all. This is all way before that. And God finds a man named Abram and he says, he speaks to him. Doesn't say he said anything about his name. Doesn't say he told him how to go to church or what to do. He just said, and the Lord, look at this, the Lord Yahweh said. Yeah, has God ever spoken to you before? God ever spoken to you? And then some of you are like, oh, I'm not going to raise my hand because I'll be crazy. No. Sometimes God can speak in like a Feeling. You ever heard pastors, I had a feeling, or the Lord led me. You ever people say that before? Like, what in the world are you talking about? How does God lead you? Sometimes God can just start off. Our relationship with God can come, sometimes just begin with, I felt a drawing to go to church. I had a feeling that I needed to get right with God. I had, a, I had some kind of something come over. How many people know what I'm talking about? Something just come over you that I need, to, I need to get my life right. I don't know what it was. And probably, in my opinion, I think Abraham kind of st- Abraham started off this way. He had a dream to go to Canaan and it didn't happen. And one day he wakes up and he had this sense that God had spoken to him and he had a very clear sense that God was gonna use him to do something great. And they said, woman, no, that's what he said. Sarah, honey, dear baby, let's get our stuff together and let's go, let's finish this journey that we set off on. And he went. Now, if your Christianity just stays here, were you led by impressions and you led by feelings and some sense of God? It's going to get real easy along the way to get discouraged. And you might just think that voice one day, it just becomes a distant echo. And so many times our Christianity is just led by feelings and impressions and, and uh, movements. And, and it's there and why. It, it could get halfway there and Sarah could be like, Abraham, Abram, are you sure? You sure this is really what God said? You sure that we're supposed to be going this year? I think you ate some pizza too late at night or something. We need to go back to where we know things. And life is that way. Sometimes our Christianity is so surface-based, focusing on our feelings and our impressions and, and what we thought God said, and we don't really know Him yet. But it can begin there. It can begin there. Abraham, maybe you were mistaken. Maybe God didn't speak to you. But here's what Abraham did. Abram began to keep making steps towards God. Because, see, this is a journey. Christianity is a journey of getting to know God more and more each day. And so, Abram started with a voice. He followed this feeling beyond his discouragements, beyond the questions, beyond the doubts. I love what Warren Wearsby says. He says, If your feet are going, your faith is growing. If your feet are going, your faith is growing. And it starts with a voice. And maybe that's where you're at today, but I'm going to challenge you. Take your Christianity a little higher. The next is a revelation. Look look down in Genesis 12, verse 6. We're going to go quick, so stay with me. Genesis 12, verse 6, a revelation. A revelation. Abram gets into the land of Canaan. He passed through the land, verse 6 says, as far as the side of Shechem, the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanites were in the land then. Now look what it said. At first it said, the Lord said, watch this, the Lord appeared. Watch this. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants I'll give this land. And there what did he do? He built an altar to the Lord and the Lord had appeared. Everybody say appeared. First he just heard a voice that said something to him. Next he had an appearance. The Lord appeared to him and he proceeded to the mountain east of Bethel. He pitched his tent on Bethel on the west and a on the east and there he built an altar to the Lord, and what did he do? He called upon the name of the Lord, and that word Lord there is translated Yahweh. He called upon the name of Yahweh. Now, now Abram didn't really still know yet, but can you imagine the Lord appearing? I don't know what that appearance looked like. I don't know how he, the Lord appeared to him, but even then, Abram still didn't recognize the Lord as all that he would be. But he knew this voice had drawn him, and now he had an appearance or some sign of God, some symbol of God, some revelation of God. And what did he do? He made a place of remembrance, a place of sacrifice. And this place is between Bethel and Ai, and it's so very important. Because this place would be a bedrock moment in Abram's life. Years later when he got in trouble in Egypt, this place would be a place he'd come back to. And he would call upon the name of the Lord again. And I think he did it several times in his life. And you and I, that we need mountain moments with God. That not only have we felt a feeling and followed a voice, but there become some revelation of God that, yeah, I kind of, I get God more now. I see him more clearly today than I did before. And you make an altar moment, a place of remembrance between Ai and, and and Bethel. And he says, this is a place where I can come back to in my life and remember that God appeared to me. You ever had moments like that in your life? Can you go back to altar moments where you press through with God and you pray? there, or you got saved, or you received the baptism of the Spirit, or God healed you. And in a moment of difficulty and trial, when you get wayward in your life, you can come to this place and say, that's where God showed up in my life. How many people have moments like that? In a moment of trial and tribulation, you can close your eyes and say, that was a moment in my life where I saw God show up in my life. Some of us has not gotten to that place of Christianity yet, where God has appeared to you in a powerful way. And made an altar moment in God, in His presence, he began to call upon Him there. The Bible says in Romans, "Who shall ever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." But here's the catch: we still only worship what we know. Abraham had only had two moments with God, and he worshipped in the worship that he knew how to worship. He only worshipped in what he knew. You can come into Christianity today, and you don't have to know the doctrine of justification and sanctification. You don't have to know the Holy Communion, and you don't have to know the details of how to get water baptized and what crashes it is or whatever. You know what? When you begin to call upon God, guess what how good God is? He shows up exactly where you are. Abraham didn't have doctrine, he didn't have denomination, he didn't have a systematic theology, he didn't have a program or a pamphlet or a welcome brochure, he didn't have lights and sound and a worship team, he just knew that God appeared to him, he made a place of sacrifice in his life, this is a mountain moment, and God just showed up and met him there and made a defining moment, do not forget this place. We need places like that in our life, church. We need places where you can show up and God says, man, I'm going to meet him and her where they are. They don't have it all figured out, but you know God came and God met you. Maybe you've heard and felt God. Maybe you've seen him work a miracle. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians that, you know, we only know in part right now, but we will know fully just as we've been fully known There is still more of God for you to know, and there is still more of God for you to experience. I think in the American church, what we are facing right now is that we think we're okay and we're good enough. Now, I've got my Christianity figured out, and I've saved, and I did the things I got to do, and now I can go live the best life I can live and wait till Jesus comes. That's not what we see in Scripture. You need to see God A little higher and a little higher. You need to know him a little more and you need to experience him a little more each and every day. Abraham only worshiped in what he knew, but if that was it in his life, it wouldn't be enough. He would not make it to the promised land. So here's what happened. Go on to Genesis 14, verse 18. A priest came. Abraham finds himself in a pickle. His, son, his, his nephew Lot has been taken away by, by a battle after the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and some other kings, five kings got together and had a battle, and his, his, his nephew just had some issues, by the way, and, and sometimes that's how we are as family. We've got to clean up other people's messes, and that's just part of it. And he comes in, and he rescues Lot. But guess what happens? A mysterious king-priest shows up, not even part of the battle, and they called his name Melchizedek. Melchizedek, he was a priestly king, and the Bible calls him a priest of God Most High. This this is an interesting part. Genesis 14, verse 18. And through this priest, Abram would learn a little bit more about God. Look at this. He says, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. What does that sound like? Bread and wine. And he was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what did Abram do? He gave him a tenth of all, a tenth of everything that he owned. The kings of the world asked uh, to give him something, but instead, Abram gave to God. And through this priest, Melchizedek, we don't know anything about him. The Bible's very silent on him. But through this priest, Abram learned another little step about God. He says, God... Most high. God most high. In Hebrew, that word is El Elion. And it means the highest God. And the psalmist would declare throughout the rest of the Old Testament about God most this is one of the most popular phrases for God in the Old Testament. One of the most number one ways God would come to be known to the Gentile nations. Who is Abraham going to bless the world through? And the world's going to be blessed? It's through the Gentiles. And he says, this is a way I'm going to show you God. This priest comes, he says, Abram, man, God is the most high God. You've heard a voice. You've had a feeling. You've had some kind of appearance. You've made an altar. But let me tell you about this God. He is the supreme God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the sustainer of all things. Just read through the Psalms that David would prophesy about him. About This God is the God that if you hide under his wings, you will abide in the shelter of the Almighty. This is the kind of God that is protecting you and guiding you and leading you and you need to know this God, Abram. And so Abram says, man, this is the God? You're telling me that's how big this God is? That's the guy that's been leading me all this time? I've only had some feelings. I had some impressions. I even had a little revelation from my Bible study in my Sunday school class, but you're telling me that's how high this God is? He says, yeah, Abram, that's how high this God is. So Abram took bread and he wine. Guess what he had? He had communion. He didn't have no church service. He didn't know the doctrine of communion. He didn't know what would happen later, but he worshiped God in Holy Communion. Isn't that something? He worshiped in Holy Communion, and then he began to tithe, and nobody even braided him to tithe. He just said, man, that's the God? Man, I'm gonna give him the best, and a tithe is the 10%, but it's the very best of the crops. It's the first, it's like the icing on the cake. It's the best part of the steak. It's the trimming, man, that is good. And he says, God is worthy of my very best. See, it's not religious. It's not, it's not a rule. It's something that when you see God a little higher, it's not about a religion of giving. It's not about a religion or doctrine of worship. It is saying, "Man, that God is for me, then who can be against me? And he's freely given me all things. So how can I not give him my very best? And that verse, there's a word in there that actually says, "Abraham swore." He swore to the Most High. You know what that means in the Hebrew? It means lifted up his hands. He lifted up his hands to God Most High. You see, church, sometimes in your life, you may have just heard a feeling and had an impression. You may have had some kind of appearance of Jesus. You may know some kind of something about Jesus, that he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, that he was born in a manger. And that's an appearance, but have you come to the place where maybe some other person in your life, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was a worship team, led you to a place where you got a revelation that God is bigger than you could ever imagine, that the Word of God came alive through you. And the Bible says in Hebrew that Melchizedek is a symbol of Christ. There are sometimes people in your life put there for a reason, and they're there to show you Jesus. Jesus. That's when we come to church. That's when we get in Bible study. Because you by yourself aren't enough to know God. I said it. You by yourself aren't enough to know God. God made the church for a reason. Who are you to try to do this thing on your own? Woo! We are a fellowship of believers. And Ephesians says that we are rooted and grounded in love that together with all the saints, we might know this love of God that reaches the heights, the depth, the width, the breadth. You can't know how big God's love is for you unless you see that love manifested in other people like you. And sometimes you need somebody like Jesus, uh, got Jesus on to come and show you God's love, his power towards you. That's called getting involved in a church. So see, he he learned a little bit about the voice of God. He learned a little bit about the appearance of God. Then he learned about the word of God and the worship of God. And next he came on in Genesis 15, verse 1. He had a voice. He had an appearance. He had a priest. Genesis 15, and these things came. After these things, what does it say? The word of the Lord came. It actually says the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. And saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. And Abram said, Oh Lord, what will you give me? I'm childless. How can I have an heir? my heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, a servant. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house will have to be my heir. And he says, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside, and he said, Now look. Look towards the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to count them, he said to him, "You so shall your descendants be. Look what it says, verse 6. Then he believed. Somebody say believed. He believed in the Lord, or Yahweh. He believed in Yahweh, and he reckoned it to him as righteous. It says the word, he had a, a, a voice spoke to him. He had an appearance next. He had a priest come and tell him in the new name of God, God Most High. And now it says, now the Word. Who's the Word in the Bible? Jesus. Look at that. And Jesus, the Word of the Lord, came to him in a vision. And in the Bible, whenever you see Yahweh, it says, if it's... The Lord, L-O-R-D, and if it's all capitalized in most of our English translations, it means Yahweh. And the the Jews are so, uh, have a great uh, tradition where they don't write it out. In the English translations, we put Lord there because God's name is holy and how great. But the H, uh, so the Y-W-H-H, or W-H, Yahweh, it means the personification or the personal relationship with God to His covenant people. It is, it, to Moses, it was, I am that I am. And I'm the God that's gonna fulfill this covenant. It means that God came down personally as the God who is and is to come and who always was and that he has a relationship with his people to be a covenant people. And it says, the word of the God The word of Yahweh became personal to him in a vision. He had a revelation of Jesus. Jesus showed up in his life and said, Abram, I'm going to do something great through you. And look what happened. In the the following paragraph, the Bible would say that God told Abram, get some sacrifices and these different animals and cut them and and set them there. And uh, Abram had a, a vision. And then that night, he saw a flame of fire and smoke Go through these two pieces of all these sacrifices. You're like, what in the world is that all about? In the ancient day, we would call, Pastor Christian and I, we say, we cut a covenant, meaning we had an agreement. We cut an animal in half, and we walked between it. We would walk between these two animals and make an agreement and say, I'm going to buy this car, and you're going to buy my goats or whatever, you know, we're just even trade, okay? And, and we're going to walk between this and say, these are the terms of our commitment to each other. And when we walk through those two pieces together, it's a binding pledge between me and him. All right? And Abraham saw something. Jesus comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. There's going to be an heir come through you. There's going to be a multitude after you. God's going to bless the socks off your life. More than you can even imagine. And he says, let's cut a covenant together, Abram." But he made Abraham stay over here. And the Bible says that God himself walked through the two pieces by himself. Some would even say that it was Jesus and God. And God made a covenant to himself that he would bless the whole world through this man, Abram. And it wouldn't matter how many times Abram fell and failed. It wouldn't matter what would happen or not happen. That God promised that he would save the world through a man like this. And that he would raise up. And God promised to himself that it wasn't about the works that Abraham would do, but it was what God was going to do through his life. And you see, this is the moment that's so important for you and for me. That there comes a time in your life when you've got to stop trying to figure it out how to be good enough to be a Christian. You get to a point where you start to just believe. It says that Abraham believed in the Lord, He didn't just believe about the Lord. He didn't just believe what a pastor, that priest, Melchizedek, said. He didn't just trust in a feeling anymore. But when Jesus became personal in his life and showed up in the middle of the night and said, Abram, I promise to myself that I'm going to save you and bless you. And it said that Abram believed in the personhood of a covenant God who became personal, that he was the great I am that I am and that he would promise to, himself, that it's not by works lest we should boast, but it's by grace through faith. When you get to the moment in your life where you have Jesus show up in your life and you realize there's nothing I could ever do to add to what this guy did on the cross, that's called salvation. That's called salvation. It means trusting and leaning all your weight onto the work of God. God said, Abram, I covenant to myself to do what I've told you. When Jesus died on the cross, that was the same moment again that God was promising and fulfilling that promise to Himself that He would save the world and make a generation of people who could call on the Lord by faith, just like this man Abraham did. That Mount today is called Mount Calvary. And that's where you and I also have to believe in the Lord. Isn't that something? Believe in. Don't believe about the Lord. Believe in the Lord and who He is. You see, you know somebody and you know about somebody, but do you believe in that person? That's a whole other level. I know you. I know about you. But for me to trust in you, to watch my kids, it's a whole other level. To give you my bank account PIN number, I better believe in you, not just know about you. And for you and for me. Maybe your Christianity has so much been about God and about what pastors have said and about appearances, but have you believed in Him and trusted in Him? Next would be a sign. Stay with me. Genesis 17. Abraham makes a mistake. He has a a baby with his servant girl. wasn't a pretty sight in his family. Followed the wisdom of the world. He... Doubted God's word, and after pain and suffering some 13 years, God was silent in his life, but God's grace would abound. In Genesis 17, verse 1, it says that Abraham was now 99 years old, and the Lord Yahweh appeared to him again and said to him, Abraham, Abram, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. That's what that means. God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. And God would come to him and say, I want you to leave behind the things of this world. You've tried to figure life out like the people of this world, and you've gotten yourself into sexual sin. So here's the sign of the covenant. Now you've got to be circumcised. You're never going to forget that you're different than the rest of this world. You're never going to make these same mistakes because you're going to cut away the things of your life that make you look like the rest of this world. And he's not just talking about the flesh. He's talking about your heart. You're not just going to be like the rest of this world. There's going to be a sign that you are a different and a peculiar people. You are a royal priesthood, he would say to his descendants. A holy nation, a people for God's possession. I want to make you different, Abraham. I want you to stand out against the rest. He says, I am... El Shaddai. You've loaned me by one name, God Almighty El Elyon, but I'm telling you now, you're going to see me in another way. I'm going to show you that I'm God Almighty. You think things that I'm wanting to do through your life are impossible. I am the God of the impossible. It's not just probable with me. It's going to happen. If I say it, then that's what I say. And so, Abram, I want you to start trusting me with who I say I am. I am God Almighty El Shaddai. If you've got a question about who I am, I'm here to show you. Let me tell you what I'm going to do to you, Abram. I'm going to change your name. You are Abraham, which means exalted father. I'm going to make your name Abraham, father of a multitude. So every day when you get up, Abram, you're going to look in the mirror and say, I am Abraham. I'm not that person that I once was because God Almighty has saved my soul. El Shaddai is the God of the impossible. When I was headed to a devil's hell and destruction, God lifted me up out of the miry clay, set my feet on a rock. I'm not going to be moved nor shaken. If God is on my side, who can be against me? I am El Shaddai's kid. I am Abraham, father of the impossible multitude that God's going to bless me with. I've never seen it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But God said it, and that settles it. Amen. El Shaddai. He gave him a reminder of who he is and who Abraham was called to be. You see, there are moments when you forget who God is. You come to places when you haven't seen God a little higher. It's been a long time since you met a moment with God, had a moment with God. It's been a little while since you felt his touch, since you had a revelation of how good he is. And you get yourself into trouble. You start doubting. Does God love me? Is he here? Is this going to happen? What's going on, God? Why me? What are you going to do? You need a reminder, a little higher view. You say, God, you're almighty God and I'm willing to circumcise my heart to be near to you. You see, some of our Christianity has stayed settled, and we're no longer willing to cut things away from our life. Why? Because you failed to see El Shaddai. This guy is almighty. Impossible, improbable things happen with this guy. If I'm in him, and he's for me, and he's made me a new creation, and I am who I am in Christ... I will cut everything out of this world so I can live in the promise that God has for me. Why are you dealing with stuff you shouldn't be dealing with? Because you haven't had a bigger view of God. He hasn't been worth it. So you settle in the muck. I can play around with this. I can be like the world. But if you could just see what God wants to do in your life and what he can do, you'd be like, man, this ain't worth it. I'm El Shaddai's kid. God Almighty, lastly, is this. Now, Abraham is 113, thereabout. The Bible says God would test him. Now, this has been almost a hundred-year journey. Abraham has been on of knowing God, something. He says, now, Abraham, I've given you a son, Isaac, the son of promise, the son you love, by the way. Man, he goes to ball games. Love, this is the boy. He's going to be all it. This man is going to be an all-star. He's my everything. You should see all the pictures I have of him on Facebook. It's just Isaac, 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 Isaac. Isaac. I mean, this is my man. This is the kid that I'm going to be blessed. This is the blessing of God, God's blessing on my life. Man, look at my blessing. Take your son you love, that blessing. Kill him. Sacrifice him on the altar. Go to a land I'm going to show you. Go to the mountain, Mount Moriah I'm going to show you. The Bible says that the next morning he got up early, saddled his donkey, got his servants, got his boy, headed out. And three days, note that, three days, three days later, they found it. Put the burden on his son Isaac. The two walked up that hill together. And Abraham had a prophecy. He didn't know what he was doing. He prophesied that God would provide a lamb and that God would provide the sacrifice. And Hebrews says that Abraham reckoned that if even if he had to kill his son, God could raise him up again. He didn't know what he was thinking there either. He just knew this God. He knew if God said it, there's got to be a way this is going to work out because I know now his word. I get it. I don't understand. I don't have to know all the answers. I just trust this guy because I've been on this journey seeing him a little higher, little higher, little higher, and now there's nothing you could say to get my mind off of how much I trust this guy, and I know he loves me. I know he's got everything for me. I've believed his His word has become alive to me. I've believed in this guy. I've seen Jesus in my life manifested, and now I know him. So he gets to that place. He pulls out the knife, and you know the story. An angel comes and says, Abram. Abraham, rather. Abraham, put the knife down. Now I know you fear the Lord. Why is that important? He feared the Lord more than he loved his son. Meaning what? He trusted more in the blesser than in the blessing. He trusted not in the things that God had gave him, but the God that gave it to him. Sometimes we get so attached to the things that, God, we want a good life, God, and if that good life ever gets taken away from you, then you doubt God. Why? That's on purpose, because God wants to get your faith back on him, not in what he's given you. Oh, I lost my job, God, I can't believe you let this happen to me. Was your trust in your job or in God that gave you the job? Was your trust in your health when you get sick? Oh, God, I can't believe I'm sick. What are you doing to me, Lord? Was it trust in the sickness and your health, or was it trust in the healer who's your provider? Who's your trust? Who's your faith built on? God was testing him. You're going to trust in this boy? You think this boy's going to give you everything? You think this boy's all that? Or you think I'm the one who gave you this boy? Abraham looked behind him. The Bible says in Genesis 22, verse 13, raised his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket. Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up for the burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham, look at this, called that place the Lord Yahweh will provide. Provide is Jireh. We sing a song, we say it, Jehovah Jireh. He called that place Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord will make appear all that we need. Abraham did not know then, but we would learn years later, that God himself would provide that true heir, through the lineage of Abraham, the true son that we all needed, Jesus Christ, that the burden would be placed on that son, that the Father God and Jesus the Son would walk up that same hill, Mount Moriah, which is where Calvary is today. They would two and two walk up that hill together, make a pact together, because they cut that that covenant together themselves, that they would together walk that road together, bear that burden on themselves to save a sinful lost mankind who'd only maybe just follow a voice who are feeling never knew God living in Babylon's temple. And they said, we will die for these people and the Lord would provide everything we needed because he is Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh. The mount of the Lord, it will be provided. What mount was he saying? On a hill called Calvary. Calvary. On a mount, it would be provided. Everything that you and I could ever need. Do you trust in the Lord or in the blessings of this Christian life? Do you trust in Him for everything you could ever need? That He is the Lord your provider. How do you know Him today? How do you see Him? The Bible says that Jesus would come, the Word of God in flesh, and He would make full explanation of God to us. But some of us have only known God through facts. Some of us have only known God through feelings. Some of us have only known God through religious things like worship services like today. Some of you have only known God through what a pastor has preached at you. And very few people, I think, in the world today have actually had a relationship that's personal, that's intimate, that's effective, that is a lifelong journey of seeing God a little higher each and every day. You see, because it's one thing to know something about someone, it's another thing to have regular life moments with them. How do you know God? I promise you that is, if you just take steps of faith like Abram, God's gonna show up exactly where you are each and every time because you're walking by faith. God loves people who just take steps of faith walking towards him. Whether it be a thief on the cross who says, I don't know anything about this guy, Jesus, but this guy's gotta be different, so Jesus, would you save me, be with me. And that guy met Jesus and he saved and then went to heaven. That, that's his journey. If you're here with him right now. Let me challenge you, just be real real. When's the last time you had a moment with God? Think about it. Honestly. When's the last time you had a moment with God? I think many of us could say, honestly, Pastor, it's been a while. Maybe our relationship needs to get out of the stagnation and get into some faith steps. Maybe God in a situ- maybe some of you, listen, maybe some of you are in a situation right now that is there because God is trying to show you who he is in that situation. Are you hearing me this morning? He's always good. He's always on time. He's always there. He wants to show you himself because he wants you to know him. He's that good. Would you stand with me in this room today? Worship team, would you come? We need regular mountain moments with God to see him a little higher. Maybe you've had a voice. Maybe he's appeared to you in a vision or revelation. Maybe you've known Him through pastors and ministers and people around you. Maybe Jesus has showed up in your life, the Word of God, and you've believed in Him. And maybe today there's a test or a trial, and you need to see God in that test or trial. God, I don't know where you are, what you're going through. I just know this, that whatever you're at, wherever you are, God has a way He wants you to know Him in the place you're at. He has a moment he wants to spend with you. And I'm challenging you, church. I'm challenging you. Don't be stagnant in your walk with God. Keep taking steps to see him a little higher. Let him come visit you. Step out in faith and follow that voice. Step out in faith and, and believe on that.